thanks that we once again can come before you, knowing not just that you are present, but that you move in mighty ways in our lives and in our world. God, we give you thanks for answered prayers for those places where you have moved and where we have seen it. And God, we pray, we give you thanks for answered prayers that we don't even remember what were answered. God, we give you thanks for those ways that you move in our life, both seen and unseen, and for the power of your grace and your forgiveness that gives us this opportunity to have this relationship with you, to know not just we are go where we are going, but knowing that you are with us all along the way. And so, God, we come to you now on bended knee, lifting up uh, those in our congregation, those in our communities, those in our lives who are hurting. God, we lift up, especially Regina Finch, um, pray um, for her headaches um, that are starting back like they were a few years ago. And so, God, we pray the headaches may be pushed away again, uh, that she may be healed. Uh, we lift up uh, the family of Lorenzo DeLon, uh, De Leon, Dono. Uh, you do, though. Um, and we lift up his family. He passed away. Lorenzo passed away in a car accident. So, God, uh, we lift up uh, his family, uh, pray for their comfort and their healing in this uh, time of struggle. We lift up Clifford Hines's cousin, uh, who is in the hospital, God. Uh, we pray for their healing, God. We pray uh, for whatever it is that they may be set right. We lift up the doctors. We lift up the nurses. Uh, we pray that it may all go well. Uh, we lift up the Jones family um, after... Um, the, after the death of CL's brother. Um, and so God, we just pray uh, for that family. Uh, they may know your peace. We lift up uh, Sandra, who's requesting prayers uh, for pancreatic cancer, for their healing. God, we've been praying for Sandra for a long time. And so God, uh, we pray for your healing hand to rest upon Sandra, that the pancreatic cancer may be defeated, that she may be fully healed. Um, and we uh, lift up Susan, uh, Susanna, who fell. Uh, Susanna, who fell? Yes. Or Susan? Susan? There we go. Yes, thank you. You told me about this. I can't read. Um, we lift up uh, Susan, um, Emily's mother, uh, who fell, um, uh, bumped her head, sore neck, hematoma. Um, sounds like just a real tough situation. So, God, uh, we pray uh, for her. We pray for her healing. Um, God, we pray that she may be set right uh, and get back to the very full life uh, that you have called her to. And, God, we lift up all of our prayers, those both spoken and those unspoken. Uh, God, we lift up the ongoing coronavirus pandemic and pray uh, for your healing. God, we lift up the situation in Ukraine and pray uh, for your peace and for your understanding. And God, we lift up our own lives and hand them over to you. Loving God, may we see you clearly in our lives. May we be convicted by your Holy Spirit moving within us. God, we know we fall short of where we should be. And God, we ask for your forgiveness. But God, even as we do that and know that we are forgiven by you, may we pass that same forgiveness on to others. May we, in all ways and everywhere we go, be your people, transformed by your grace and transforming the world by the power of your grace in our lives. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. I'd like to invite uh, the children uh, to come forward uh, for a message uh, prepared just for them. You got there fast. Uh, that's a good point. You were behind me. I didn't see you. Sneaky. Come on down, friends. Okay. A couple of y'all have heard this already, but a couple of y'all, it's brand new. Okay. Um, without, without naming names or telling exact situations. 
okay? I just want you to blanket ask this question. Has anyone ever done anything mean to you? For once, I'm not asking you for your own crimes. I am asking, has someone ever, raise your hand if someone has ever done anything mean to you? You Again, never in your life. Here we go. Okay, now we're all telling the truth. Okay, so the truth is, is that happens sometimes, right? People do bad things. They shouldn't. They should know better. But people do bad things. Um, people harm us. They call us names. They hurt us. Um, and they should not do that. But also, God calls upon us to forgive those people. Now, forgiving those people doesn't necessarily mean you have to go back to being friends with them. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that it all goes back to normal. But it does mean no longer holding hate or holding bad feelings towards that person in your heart. You can still tell a grown-up if someone is bullying you. You do not have to become friends with the person that is bullying you. But you can't hold, you are not supposed to. God challenges us to not hold bad feelings and hate towards that person. No one should do bad things to anyone. But the truth of life is sometimes that happens. And God challenges us and gives us the strength to not hold hate and bad feelings against those people, even when they harm us. You guys pray with me. Take your hands like this. Give me a laugh. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Help us to forgive others, even when it's hard. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. All you guys can return to your seats. Uh-huh. Our scripture this morning comes from uh, the 45th chapter of the book of Genesis, uh, verses 3 through 11, and then jumping down to complete the story on verse 15. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me to sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither planting, neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and the ruler of all, over all the land of Egypt. Hurry. Go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds and all that you have. Will, I will provide for you there since there are five more years of famine to come so that you and your household will, will have Excuse me, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Today is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, I have a confession. 
this kind of sermon is extremely difficult to preach. Not because the Bible is unclear about, a, about how we are to live and what, for, how forgiveness is supposed to be a part of our Christian journey. No, the Bible puts a fairly consistent point um, that we have been forgiven by God um, and we are to transfer on that forgiveness to others. That we are not just supposed to love those who love us, but we are supposed to love our enemies and love those who do us harm and forgiveness seems to be a part of what it means to love your enemy. No, that's not why it's hard. This doesn't require super technical biblical exegesis. I do not have to examine this scripture with a microscope to tell you that at the base of this is an idea that you should probably be like Joseph and forgive rather than holding hatred forever and let that destroy both your family and yourself. Easy enough. No, this is hard because for me, as a pastor, to stand up here and say, you should forgive, which, spoilers, that is how this sermon ends. My last point, assuming the slides are working when we get to there, there'll be some sort of slide that will say, you should forgive, right? I'm going to get there, I promise. But it butts up against self-righteousness. And that's something I really hope to never do as a preacher. It's really hard as a preacher to stand up here and tell y'all how to live your religious life without coming off as some sort of self-righteous jerk. It is, I tried swearing in British in the first service, and then Tesney Davis, who is British, was there, and so I had to totally edit everything I was going to say, because someone was going to bust me for the fact that I was actually swearing, just not in a version of English y'all understand. Um, so I had to edit. Um, thanks, Tesney. Uh, God love her. Um, Often when I tell stories, I am not the good guy. I will tell stories maybe of how I went on a journey and I was transformed to invite us all into a journey of transformation because that's truthfully what we are. I am a religious person. Y'all are a religious person. I have studied a lot. I have thought a lot. I have prayed a lot. I try to share some wisdom to you about our religious journeys, but at no point do I want y'all to be under any illusion that I am any further down the road than all than y'all. There are certainly people in this room who I know very well who are further down the road than I am. There are some of y'all in this room I'm further down the road than, but I won't tell you who. But I don't want to be self-righteous. I don't want this to be me as preacher telling you what you should do, because this is definitely what I do. But still, we should forgive. But as I thought about this topic of forgiveness, I didn't actually keep coming back to the times that I have given forgiveness or even the times that I have received forgiveness, I have thought about all the times I have not received forgiveness and all the people that are not in my life anymore because I harmed them and they did not forgive me. I've talked about this before, but I am a functioning workaholic. And while this manifested, it's funny now, I just work slightly too much and my children roll their eye, one of my children rolls his eyes at it. But it used to mean that I slept between two and a half hours and three and a half hours a night for about a 10 year period. Well, when you live that sleep deprived of a life, working between 20 and 22 hours a day, 
your brain is in such a sleep-deprived state that I was essentially high for 10 years. I did not take in any drugs. No, it was simply the lack of sleep that fundamentally altered my decision-making patterns so that I periodically look back at some of the choices that I made and how I treated some of the people and go, how on earth, why on earth did I do that? Why did I think it was a good idea? And the simple fact was I was high. I was perfectly in control of whether I was high or not, and I kept being that way. I had fundamentally altered the way my brain functioned, but I did not see reality clearly, and in doing that, I hurt a lot of people. I mistreated a lot of people, and a lot of those people are not in my life anymore. A few of those people are still in my life because they have forgiven me for how I was then, but that's the demarcation. People like my spouse, people like my best friends. They knew me then, I mistreated them too. I did not treat them any better than I treated the rest of them. It is just I received forgiveness from them. And I've had those thoughts thinking about the those folks who are not in my life anymore, who I loved dearly and who I miss a lot and who I wished were there. And I would have that thought, darn it, they should forgive me. It's been 10 years. Darn it, they should forgive me. I'm a different person now. I'm a pastor now. So much better than I was. That part's true. I could go to them, right? We're all connected on Facebook. I go to them on Facebook and go, hi, I'm a pastor now, and the Bible says you should forgive me. That's spiritual abuse, by the way. Never do that. That is literally spiritual abuse. Because truth is, I don't deserve forgiveness. I deserve for them to walk out of my life. For how I treated them, I do not deserve forgiveness. I deserve for them to walk out of my life. Forgiveness is fundamentally a gift. And what a joy that we get it. And what a joy that we get it from God, because God could as e should as easily walk out of our lives. And God, for reasons I will never understand, has decided to not walk out of our lives and decided to be faithful and forgive. But forgiveness is always a gift that we can offer, but never a gift that we can expect to receive. Because the truth is, for the harm we have all caused in other people's lives, and so I'll name myself in this, for the harm that I have caused in other people's lives. I do not deserve forgiveness. I am merely thankful for the forgiveness I have received. The other awkward thing about being a pastor and talking about forgiveness is I'm going to tell y'all you should forgive, and some of the people who need to forgive me are in this room. And so I do not want you, those who do, I you know, suspect need to forgive me. Uh, I, I am not calling upon you to specifically forgive me, although, you know, uh, the Bible does say. Have I mentioned the Bible? <laughs> we do not deserve forgiveness. What a joy when we do receive it. But we are called upon to be the people who give others who do not deserve it that joy. Because the heart of this story is a really messed up family. Okay? What Joseph's brothers do to him is horrific. This is a family with a real dark past. They had some relationship problems. There is a real trauma at the heart of that relationship. Yes. Joseph was kind of a toe-headed kid. 
right? He was dad's favorite, and he made sure that everyone knew it. He had this cool coat. He had this dream about how everyone was going to bow down to him. And being a toe-headed kid, he let everyone know. So he's a teenager and by far from a perfect brother, but he did not deserve to be attacked, nearly left for dead, sold into slavery, and have his father informed that he was dead. That could have killed him. By the grace of God, it did not. But that's not the brother's fault. It's not the brother's fault that Joseph's still alive. That's on God. The harm the brothers did was deep. Deep. And life altered. Joseph was sent hundreds, if not, I think it's slightly more than a thousand, more than a thousand miles from home as a slave, ended up in prison, lucked his way into the Pharaoh's household, became the lord of all Egypt. But the pain and suffering caused by his family, those who were supposed to love him and protect him, so there's the betrayal side on top of the harm, on top of the trauma, on top of the fact that it could have killed him. You can understand why when the brothers first appeared, he did not immediately welcome them in open arms. It is he meets them several chapters before chapter 45 when he finally says, Hi, I'm your brother. Everything's okay. He meets them first. He, they, he recognizes them. They don't recognize him. He puts them to the test. He makes them like leave Benjamin there and then go back. Then he sneaks some like valuables. If you ever seen Les Mis, it's like that. He puts the valuables in the person's bag. And then they find the valuables and they have to bring the valuables back and bow down and beg for forgiveness. Oh, we didn't mean to steal. We don't know how it got in there. Death, whatever. And then finally, finally, he says in verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But the brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Yeah, I would be dismayed too. But you got to think about this, right? A, there is the tremendous harm that they definitely caused him. And B, he is the Lord of all Egypt. So remember this story about a guy named Moses? When he's like running away from Pharaoh, he's leading these people called the Jews away from Pharaoh, and he's going to part the Red Sea. The prior to the point where he parts the Red Sea, they're being chased by that entire army of chariots, right? You remember this? You might have seen the movie with Charlton Heston or a great animation or read it in the Bible in the book of Exodus. But no matter how you consumed this story, you remember that picture of that mighty Egyptian army? Guess who's currently in charge of that mighty Egyptian army? Joseph. Guess who could snap his fingers and kill anyone on the face of the planet if he so chose? Joseph. Guess who could have sent his brothers away to begin with and denied them any grain and just let them starve to death because this grain is for Egypt and not for the people of Cana? Joseph. And so they have a right to be afraid. They've done harm. He has every right to be mad. Even if they're slightly better people, they seem, they do not deserve forgiveness. And Joseph is incredibly powerful. So with all of those factors in mind, what Joseph 
actually chooses to do is even that much more remarkable. In fact, it's not even that he just, I'm not going to kill you, but go home. No, no, no. He offers them a, basically an offer of life-saving support. That is verses 9 through 11. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. Rather than kill them, which they might have deserved, rather than starve them out, which they might have deserved, rather than reject them, which they definitely deserved. He offers to move them to Egypt, support them, and even enter back into a relationship with them. I do like that here we also see him set up a boundary, right? You live over here in Goshen, and I'm going to live over here, and we'll see each other on Christmas, and on Thanksgiving, and for all of the christenings, and some backyard barbecues. But we are not moving back in together. I am not going back to being your younger brother. Y'all have y'all's house. I have my house. We can live in like the same neighborhood, but we are not living together anymore. This is a wonderful, healthy picture of forgiveness. I'm going to help you. I'm no longer going to hold hate towards you. Instead, I'm going to offer you life-saving support. But this relationship we have does not go back to how it was. You stay over here, not 10 miles from me, more like 250 feet from me. But you stay over here. I stay over here. We will live our lives together. Again, I, you, know, you can know my children. I can know your children. It's going to be a nice family. But things do not go back because you sold me into slavery. The Bible doesn't say all that. I'm reading a little into the story. But you see like him setting up healthy boundaries. It does not just go back to 100% what it was before. But Joseph is still willing to offer this life-saving support and re-enter into a relationship with his family. And there's depth to that relationship. I added on the coda on verse 15, just so you get this picture of brotherly love despite tremendous harm. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. They are back in a relationship. It is a relationship with boundaries, but it is a relationship built on love. Love that saves his whole family. Love that saves God's people from destruction. Love that sets up the model that then Christ offers to all of us. This is the same kind of love God shows us on the cross. The mountain of the harm we have done to God, we call that harm sin, but it is a mountain, is cleared away, not because of any gift of our own, but solely because of the free gift of God's grace. As Joseph does for his brothers, is what Christ does for us, is what we are called upon to do for others. And so this is why it has a happy ending. Not because of anything about the brothers, although they do seem mildly better and terrified as they should be. But because Joseph is willing to offer this free gift of forgiveness, to save them, to love them, to enter back into relationship with them because of something that is good in him, 
not because of something that is good in his brothers. Because Joseph is all set up all along to be the most godly of the brothers. And so the most godly of the brothers thus performs the most godly act I can imagine, which is offer a gift of forgiveness to an undeserving lot. And so we always need to think of forgiveness as a gift. It is a gift. It's a free gift offered us to God because the Lord knows we could not earn it. It is a free gift that we offer to others, even though they may not deserve it. And it is a free gift that we can hope for but can never expect from others because just as we don't deserve forgiveness from God, we don't actually deserve forgiveness from others. We love this idea of not deserving God's forgiveness because we always know that forgiveness is there. It's really easy for me to say, I'm a sinner and I know that God is going to set me free from my sin. And yes, that's 100% true. But maybe we've gotten a little used to that fact and should reflect on how remarkable that is. Yes, it's always there. But how powerful and transformative and remarkable it is this person, this entity, this being that we've mounted mountains upon mountains upon mountains of sin over generations and God just keeps clearing it away? What a gift. But as we seek it in our personal lives, in people-to-people situations, we don't want to hear it. But we also don't deserve it there. And the problem with that is we don't deserve it. And even if we ask for it, we might not get it. And that hurts. I know that feeling well. Having those destroyed relationships, being responsible for the destruction of those relationships, and not being able to mend those relationships. And so let that be all the more inspiration for us to offer that free gift. Because withholding forgiveness certainly does not do us any good. We're only holding that pain inside and allowing that other person to hold that pain inside. And to forgive is a gift of liberation. Anytime I talk about forgiveness, I always want to add the caveat. Uh, forgiveness does not mean that everything just has to go back to normal. Forgiveness is not necessarily full restoration. Um, if the person is abusing you, you do not have to go back into that relationship. I will say this again because church has gotten this wrong. Historically, if someone is abusing you, you do not have to go back into that relationship. You merely need to let go of the hurt and desire to harm that you have towards that person. But you do not have to fully restore a relationship. Oh, you forgive him. Now you got to get back together. No. Now you forgive him. Now you've got to go back to living in the same house. No. You can live four neighborhoods apart and talk on the holidays. Forgiveness is more about letting go of the desire to harm and to hurt. And instead, letting go of that and redefining what loving them means with the opportunity to create appropriate and life-giving boundaries. Sometimes boundaries are the heart of love. And so now I come to the part that I advertised. I'm going to tell you, we should all forgive. We, we should. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Plain, in Luke chapter 6, is one of those places where Jesus delves into this idea of loving your enemies. And to summarize it a little bit, there's this idea that you... Everyone loves the people. Most people love the people who are nice to them. That is not hard. 
It is not hard to love the people who are nice to you. It is way harder to love the people who harm you. But the heart of Christian love, the heart of Christ-like love, is to love the people who harm you because we harm Christ with sin, and yet Christ does nothing but love us. And so if we have a love that is to emulate Christ, it is a love that loves the people who harm us, who to seek to set free the people who harm us from that very harm that they wrought. We are called to forgive. It's a process. It's hard. It takes the strength of God moving in our lives to us to be able to do it. It is only because Christ forgave us that we are able to share that forgiveness with others. But what a testimony to the reality of God's love in the world that we are able to forgive at all. That we are able to give that free gift of grace to others. That free gift of forgiveness that is undeserved because we are sinners who were set free by the free gift of grace. We can share that grace with others. Withholding forgiveness only hurts both us and the person we are not forgiving. We have that opportunity to be a part of sharing God's grace, to pass on the grace that we were given. It's why there is that line in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That we are forgiven. And that means we can forgive as Joseph did. We can be set free. We can set free others, even others who definitely do not deserve it. Because we too definitely did not deserve what Christ did for us. Let us pray. Gracious and God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your forgiveness of us, that you loved us the way Jacob, excuse me, the way Joseph loved his brothers. Loving God, may we take that forgiveness that we are given and share it with others to break the cycle of pain and hate and resentment and instead be a part of setting free this world from hate rather than lumping it on. God, we have been deeply harmed. May we have the power from you to forgive. God, we have deeply harmed. May we be forgiven. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Grab the hands of the people around you and form one united body in Christ because in the power of God's spirit, that is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Christ forgave us and set us free. May we set free ourselves and others with that same grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.